On this episode, we discuss The Greatest Showman. His name, Dan McCoy. Mr. Excitement. Welcome to the Flop House. I'm Dan McCoy. Oh, hey there, Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. Dan McCoy, Stuart Wellington, all the ghosts of those I've wronged have come to visit me, Elliot Kalin. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I bring spectral chains to bind you with. No! Each link of those chains was forged in my life. <laughs> yeah, why'd you forge those chains in your life? It seems like it's just really come back to bite you in the ass. Yeah, yeah, the chains did bite me in the ass. Way to mix metaphors there, Dan. Brilliant work, <laughs> Mr. Poet. Anyway, uh, I, I forged those chains because I wanted to be like the guy who founded Patagonia, who started out by building his own mountain climbing equipment just as a blacksmith. Was his name Cliff Patagonia? Cliff Patagonia. And now he's a very wealthy man who loves the earth, and his company helps to destroy it by enabling rich assholes to go on very expensive vacations. Do do their clothes feature like animal products the way that those Canada goose jackets are like the product of like fox hunting? Oh, really? Uh, I'm not aware Something of that. Bad, like, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like there's there's like all these protests. But that seems like such an old fashioned way to get like a fox if that's what you want for clothing. Yeah, it's either Wait, that Dan, or just it's like, not like it's not like the fox is sewn into the lining of the jacket. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know what they're What's using the newfangled modern way to get a fox, Dan? What's the 21st century way to get a fox? Fox farming. You get fox <laughs> farms going on. Oh, like that uh, Angelina Jolie movie Fox Farm? Mhm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wait, is that the one where Chevy Chase eats hog balls? Now you're, you're thinking, thinking of you're not thinking funny, funny farm. farm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that Is was, that the sequel to Funny Farm? You know who loved Funny Farm? Roger Ebert. <laughs> he gave it like three and a half stars. Was hey. there like a buxom lady in it? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> he does love those. Or he did yeah. love them. Um, yeah, poor guy. R.I.P. Anyway. What do we do on this podcast, Dan? Well, we other watch- than disparage Robert Roger Ebert, <laughs> we watch or, a bad or his movie. brother Robert Ebert, <laughs> whose name is almost an anagram for itself, but not quite. Try again next time, Robert Ebert. <laughs> not enough letters in your last name, dude. <laughs> uh, and of course, Robot Ebert, which uh, <laughs> oh, of, of course, <laughs> boy, let's not Steely- forget. Steely Claws crush Gene Siskel. Oh, boy. Um, you thought your family was weird. <laughs> uh, anyway. So are you just reading the like line on the bottom of the video box <laughs> of the Ebert boys? The, <laughs> the rousing comedy. It's so Roger Ebert is a film critic. His brother, Robert Eder, Ebert, uh, wants to be a film critic. And their other brother is a robot. And they've all got to lose their virginity in Tijuana during spring break. <laughs> Yeah, um, that sounds great. Anyway, on this <laughs> podcast. So what do we do on this podcast, Dan, other than pitch brilliant ideas for movies? We watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. Uh-huh. 
And this time around, we watched a movie called The Greatest Showman. Uh-huh. Now, now I remember... Be... Oh, wait. Are you going to say how there's some controversy about our choice of this one? Yeah, but you can go on. Because it was a very successful movie, both financially and with certain critics. Yeah, I remember Elliot really wanted to do this movie, and he's like, can we do that thing, that, that piece of shit looking... Greatest Showman, and I'm like, I think it's that still in That sounds theaters, a lot like it's, Elliot. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it was like a, the stealth hit. Well, let me yeah, uh, let a, me was, let me go check my uh, let me check my real quick, guys. Let me check the tomato meter. The tomometer for it, uh, the tomometer for it is probably pretty high. I mean, it made like four hundred million dollars or something. Like it's, I mean, it was the, a sleeper hit, as you would say. If anyone could fall asleep during all those bombastic musical numbers. <clears throat> that thermometer, well, for, with the critics, mm, no thanks. A 56%. That's a green splat right on its face. Now, guys, what somebody, about ring up my fr- somebody ring up my friend Charlie Booker. Because <laughs> what if, what if, now hear me out. Okay. What if, now hold, just don't interrupt. I think you want to hear this whole idea. Yep, ready. What if, what if somebody invented a rotten tomato meter for life. Okay. Uh-huh. So yep. just look, that's a black mirror episode. I mean, so it is. I, I mean, I guess, I guess just Venmo me the money for that, that idea. <laughs> no, but Venmo, that's another black mirror episode right there. We're coming up with great ideas for black. Mirror. What if you could Venmo? What if you could Venmo emotions? <laughs> what? So wait, is it like a chip in your brain or is it attached to a robot and that robot will like make you feel good? That's the great thing. We don't have to explain it. We just say it. And then we have kind of like a pretty standard drama between two people, but, mm-hmm. but they send emotions to each other over phones. Uh huh. So like there'll be a scene where a kid is graduating and instead of openly congratulating their kid, the parents just Venmo them the uh, emotion of congratulations. Yes, of like I realize the, now this like is very similar to the movie pride. Equilibrium. Yeah, what? exactly. This is very Wait, similar to the movie the Equilibrium one with all where, the, like, gun where emotions fighting? are against the law. Yeah, well, that's not similar. You're One of them you're just... Well, it will be because both... No, it'll wait, be similar because both of them emotions were against food. the law in that movie? Yeah, because I thought the whole movie was just a gun food delivery system. I mean, it is, but the high concept was that emotions are against the law. Anyway, Chuck Brooker, get us get involved with us. Uh, tell us, well, we got plenty of ideas for Black Mirrors. Like, for instance, uh, what if, okay, people love animated GIFs of, like, cute cats. What if they liked animated GIFs of people getting killed? That's another oh, Black wow, Mirror right that's, there. Yeah, that's, that's been terrifying desensitized, already. Desensitized, yeah. And it's a world we could live in today, except we mm-hmm. won't. I guess, okay. you know what, guys? I, I just feel stung by that last season of Black Mirror, which I felt like was not as good as the other ones. Maybe I'm being too harsh. I mean, I think I think you're, I think it reached a kind of, I don't know, let, let's just use the word equilibrium again. Okay. <laughs> Where it just kind of like leveled out and the highs weren't as high and the lows weren't as low. It was just, eh. Yeah, I think you're right. So anyway, The Greatest Showman, that's what we're talking about today, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I both haven't watched Black Mirror, and I was fiddling around with the Skype call trying to fix some technical difficulties, so I'm sorry if I sort of dipped oh, out I of the conversation you just didn't wanna, for a while. You didn't want to piss off Mr. Television, yeah, who runs that yeah, show yeah. and all things, who might hire yeah. you someday. Who knows? Yeah, Dan doesn't want to burn any bridges right now. Mm. Yeah. Especially right now of all times. When the Cherry Blossom Festival is going on across the street and it's making Stewart's parking difficult. <laughs> I don't understand how the two things relate at all, but 
I accept your yeah, th- that's the untold behind the scenes story of how we're recording late today because <laughs> Stuart's parking was difficult because Stuart yeah. decided to drive to somewhere in New York like a fucking Seinfeld character <laughs> that's true <laughs> I am a lot like a Seinfeld character which so My- you're now you you're clearly Kramer right I think so yeah I mean I, I think I yeah and, and I think Dan and I are both George yeah and Hallie is Elaine. That goes without saying. <laughs> uh, so wait, I don't have to. I don't have to say all that bad stuff at that comedy club, right? You do. You have to be racist because <laughs> oh, you're Kramer no. now. Oh, suddenly, no. bra- this briefly changed into a uh, behind flophouse behind the music episode, and now it's just the Seinfeld cast, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Seinfeld, uh, none of the stars of Seinfeld appear in The Greatest Showman, which is too bad because George Costanza himself, Jason Alexander, is a noted song and dance man, Tony Award winner yeah. for his work on Broadway. But he's not in this. But So here's why I want to do this movie so badly. One, it is a big spectacle musical of the type that you don't see that much of anymore. Basically, this and La La Land are the only ones I can think of since, what, like, Moulin Rouge, and I'm not counting like Beauty and the Beast, like adaptations of pre-existing musicals or like Broadway shows that became movies like Jersey Boys, like I'm not counting those. I mean like an original to the screen, big budget musical, although in this case, it kind of feels like a Broadway show that they just snuck a camera into at certain times. Okay. Uh, But I really like also because from everything I saw about it, it looked really dumb. And I guess, Mm -hmm. is it going to turn out to have been dumb? You'll find out on tonight's episode of The Flophouse. Join us, won't you? Weeknights at 9 on WPIX, New York's movie station, Channel 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Well, Should we finished the promos. I'll see you show. guys tomorrow. <laughs> oh, 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 Elliot, no. Come back. <laughs> oh, I got some bad news for you, Elliot. You're going to have to cancel your plans. Oh, no. Uh, so, guys, should we go through what happens in The Greatest Showman and find Please, out whether it that. is indeed The Greatest Show? Because it's mm-hmm. like, uh, you want to say... Welcome to all my friends to the show that never ends, but it does uh-huh, end. Uh-huh. It's only an hour and 44 minutes long. Yeah. By the way, I was, I was sitting at home watching it and my main th- thought was there's gotta be a greatest snowman meme out there. And sure enough, there was <laughs> Oh, great. Yep. Uh, what is the greatest snowman? Is it, I guess is it frosty? frosty, I assume. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, was there an upset? <laughs> uh, I mean, they just had the snowman from the snowman. They were in oh, man, the saddest snowman? Yeah. That sucks. <laughs> uh, Dan, can you name another snowman other than Frosty? Jack Frost. Not a snowman. Which one? Oh, you mean the <laughs> yes, movie Jack was. Frost? Yeah. Oh, the movie. Because, like, yeah. Jack Frost, Wait, is that the, the one personification where Michael of Keaton cold turns is not a snowman. a snowman. No, I understand. I was talking about the movie Jack Frost. Oh, the, which one? This, the, 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 the horror movie or the Michael Keaton movie? I think I was thinking of the horror movie because you could argue whether Michael Keaton in the Michael Keaton movie was purely a snowman. Oh, because yeah, I mean, he had the soul they, of a dead man in it. Yeah, and it, but he, he doesn't have he doesn't have he doesn't have <laughs> organs or anything, right? No, but he, I, I, I mean, realize. he has a mouth he has a mouth organ, a harmonica, because he's like a jazz musician in the movie. Oh, he I, is. I think I, think I didn't or a realize. blues musician. Okay. I think I didn't realize he was dead in the movie because that seems pretty bleak for a children's film. I thought he probably just turned into a snowman to learn a lesson or something. No, no, he's a, well, like, well, maybe he comes back, but he's like a dad who who never who was never around his kids because he was busy being a blues man, and he dies and comes back as a snowman. Okay. And oh, also, is it because he was so cold to his kids? 
Yeah. I think that's what it is. Yeah, he becomes a real ghost dad, by which I mean uh, he is found guilty on all charges of being a bad dad. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of supervillains in the DC universe that use cold as a weapon. I think that's kind of strange. Okay, I can name two. Okay. <laughs> How many Dan? more are there? <laughs> Dan, can no, you get on, I'm on this? I'm betting in this game. I can't. Dan, can you, be, can you beat me? I can name two cold-based DC villains. Can you beat me? Can you name no, three? I, I can. I can not go over you. I can. You name know what? One. I can name three. Oh wow! If, okay. If Weather Wizard counts, then I can name three. <laughs> uh, I guess it'll count. I mean, does Penguin count? I mean, he always makes his guys no. hang around cold penguins. Only in yeah. Batman Returns, I think. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Well, so there's still Captain others. Captain Cold and Mister Freeze are the only ones I can really think of. Yeah, and uh, Killer Frost. Killer right, Frost. Killer Frost. Isn't that a Flash villain? Oh. Are you thinking of Captain Cold? Probably. <laughs> or maybe you're right. I don't know, DC. I'm a, I'm a Marvel zombie. Anyway, greatest showman, guys. We should probably you don't you don't want to you don't want to guess guess names of super villains anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Coldies is that a super villain? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Elsa, uh, does great. she count as a super villain? <laughs> I mean, I mean for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's not a DC character. If anything, she'd be a Marvel character because she's part of Disney. But anyway, oh, it's only on. a matter of time. But I guarantee you that if it, I haven't seen Avengers: Infinity War yet. Maybe it happens in that. But in an Avengers: Infinity War two, I guarantee you that Elsa shows up, Mickey shows up, Goofy shows up. <laughs> yep. Like somehow the Ninja Turtles are going to show up. Somehow Mario and Luigi are going to show up. They're all in it. And that that kid that carries around the giant heart-shaped key from the Kingdom Hearts video game is going to show up? Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And also, oh, and Luke Skywalker and C-3PO, they're all in it. Greedo, all your favorite Star Wars characters. <laughs> Glad Greedo comes alive. Is he uh <laughs> is he a ghost in a snowman? <laughs> I think this happens before the first Star Wars, so he's still alive. Okay, that's good to know. Um No, okay, but Greedo's so dad British- just comes back as a ghost in a snowman. His name Snowdo. <laughs> wow okay or you know kinda, what no grease no mm, that's kind of on the snows um so <laughs> so the greatest showman or should i say snowman no one's ever thought of that joke before right dan <laughs> nope <laughs> so the greatest showman it's all it's like this movie feels like the trailer for a much longer movie to me like there were so many times during the movie where i was like is this the movie because it's moving along really fast, and I don't really have a sense of who any of these characters are. But I'll get into it. So it opens with a rousing number that mm-hmm. Hugh Jackman sings about how this is the greatest show and the circus is everything you'll ever want or dream of. Because here's something about the circus that I think is fascinating to me. The circus always presents itself as like, this is the ultimate fantasy world. It's, mm-hmm. This is all the, all the things you've never seen before. When really it's like acrobats and clowns and elephants. And I love the circus. I'll go to the circus every day. But I've never been at the circus and been like, oh, it, this I could never imagine such a thing. How do you guys feel about circus? You'd prefer, Vis-a-vis you'd that. Pre- you'd prefer their hype to be a little more like uh, like stayed, like a little more realistic and be like, oh, yeah, so we have uh, trapeze guys and uh, <laughs> some weird looking folks and uh, well, music maybe. Peanuts. I I would like them to say, for two hours, you're going to enter a world of spectacle and amazement. Then you'll feel bad the rest of the day as you think about how the animals and people are treated. 
before and after the performance. Like that's mm-hmm. a, an accurate description of the circus to me. Again, a world that I love, circus stuff. Who wouldn't want to run away and join the circus? I'll tell you who. Uh, the, every other character in The Greatest Showman who's not P.T. Barnum. Because now yeah. we're introduced to Hugh Jackman's character as a boy. He's young Phineas Barnum. He's just a poor pauper, a street urchin whose dad is a tailor of some kind, but they're still very poor, even though his dad is a tailor to a very rich man. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're, vis- they're making a house visit, tailoring for some rich guy, and Phineas decides to clown around, and he makes a little rich girl laugh and gets slapped at for it by her dad. But then they meet up afterwards on a beach, and Phineas and her sing a classic I Want song about how there's a hidden place just for them no matter what anybody says, and this song goes on for a very long time. It covers it? years of their life. Yeah, that's what so I was going to say. Ad. We yeah, are in scene so long they're old by the end. Of <laughs> we are in scene three of this movie. This is the third scene of the film, and we are already skipping through years of time as we watch them get older. Phineas's dad, who I don't even know his name. I don't know what their relationship uh-huh. was like. He's had two lines of dialogue. He dies. I don't know if this. I mean, I'm assuming Phineas it's not, not. I'm assuming it doesn't affect him too much other than like giving him a complex about wanting to like make a name for himself i guess so yeah because yeah. phineas goes on oh, sorry what you say he, he just goes to like comfort his dying dad and then the next thing we see is him putting a top hat on a on a pine <laughs> box yeah and then uh which is how you buried people back then they didn't have enough dirt so they buried people in single top hats <laughs> yeah. so if, well, look- if you ever go to an old cemetery it's just pine boxes covered in top hats yeah. I mean, that's kind of the trick with top hats is that they're very distracting. So you you see the top hat and you don't even look at what's underneath it. That's why everyone assumes people wearing top hats are just Abraham Lincolns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you just see the hat. That's it. Yeah, that was something. The original the movie Top Hat with Fred Astaire was originally about Abraham Lincoln as mm-hmm. a guy who worked at a at a cemetery. And they said it's hard to put the song and dance numbers into this because people know. Historically, that Abraham Lincoln was not a, a ma- an amazing tap dancer like you are, Fred Astaire. Mm-hmm. So we're going to change this into like a mistaken identity romantic comedy. And he's like, whatever. I just want to dance. Tap it a tap it a tap tap tap. And they were like, Fred, can you please stop saying tap it a tap it a tap 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 at the end of all of your sentences? It's very weird. And he goes, it's a nervous tick that I have. Tap it a tap a tap tap. And they were like, well, if instead of saying it. Why don't you act it out with your feet? And that's how you became that amazing tap dancer we all know today. Fred Astaire, everybody. Let's hear it. Yeah, there's this that's one of the things I like about remember this with Karina Longworth. <laughs> one of the things I like about doing this show is that I learn stuff about old Hollywood. Because uh-huh. like, you know, like it's crazier than it's crazier than fiction, you know? Yeah. Oh, you you couldn't make this stuff up. It would be impossible. Speaking of, it you can't make it up. At least a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> at the very least well it did that we're, we're closer to death than we were before i started that bit yeah speaking of uh so this song is still going on barnum becomes a kind of an aladdin type street street rat thief but kindness uh-huh. is shown to him by like a disfigured woman mm-hmm. uh and yes. i guess this is supposed to inspire us to be- oh this is why he wanted to be around people who looked different i guess uh he keeps writing letters to his rich pen pal this woman named charity they grow up. Hugh Jackman shows up and asks for Charity's hand, and they run mm-hmm. off together. That's when I I'm thought, oh, the song is over. No, the I'm song was still specif- going. It's important that you specified that it is Hugh Jackman, because that was yes. when he morphed into yeah. actor Hugh Jackman and not little kid guy. Little kid, he stops being little kid and becomes Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman so the little kid plays P.T. Barnum from the ages of, like, what, 
14 to 16. And then Hugh Jackman plays Barnum from the age of like 20 to death. Like, yeah, he more from a mini Ackman to a huge Ackman. (laughs) (laughs) Well said, well done. Uh, and they're dancing, and now they're married, and they're living in a tenement. The song keeps going, and it ends with her pregnant, because I guess them having sex was symbolized by them dancing on rooftops among uh, sheets that were hung up to dry, because that's yeah. how you signify that it's a tenement, is that clothing and things are hung out to dry on laundry lines. And it's like, the whole movie by this point felt to me like when you see a commercial on TV for a Broadway show, and you're like, Man, if I saw that in the theater, it would probably be amazing. But to watch it on screen, it looks really dumb and corny. And did you guys feel kind of the same way? Well, it's deliberately fake. Like the the the, the production design is intentionally this sort of fantasy realm in real life. Yeah, um, it's very Moulin Rougey. Yeah, and I I will say this I um so I think that the songs are pretty much garbage, and I found out. <laughs> Sure, yeah, yeah. Wait, I just because that, just because every single song sounds exactly the same <laughs> as the one before it? Yeah. Well, I found out that it was written by the same people who wrote the La La Land music, and let me say I was not surprised based on how memorable I found the music from La La Land. Uh but I, I will say, say in that, my notes in, in my notes for the movie on the music it does say really reminds me how good Lin Manuel Miranda is at his job. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so there was that. I mean, I didn't like the songs, but there are three production numbers in the movie I kind of like, and I think I'll point them out as we get to them. Okay. And and I liked I mean, I I liked how the sheets on the roof were kind of dancing along with oh, yeah. the two of them. Like when he lifts I, her up, the sheets lift up also. Yeah. And I thought that was a really nice staging, and that was one of the three production numbers that I enjoyed the look of, if not the sound of. What other production numbers did Dan like? Oh, stay tuned to find out, flop <laughs> yeah. fans. Live in suspense. Uh, so the and I will say this: this movie has a ton of energy and a ton of it. Like you really feel like they're trying to wow you at all moments, which I appreciated. Mm-hmm. But they, yeah, like, just like Barnum himself, you know, <laughs> exactly. But uh, the movie also tries to make you feel, and it and it did not succeed at that for me. So let's talk about what happens next because. Phineas, our Barnum, he's working as an accountant, but his boss goes bankrupt. And that's one of the things. I only have room in my life for one Phineas, and that's Phineas Fogg. (laughs) So call him Finn or PT from now on, Elliot. (laughs) Sorry, and not not Phineas and Ferb? That's not your favorite cartoon show? (laughs) No, I call it Finn and Ferb. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I'll call him Barnum or PT from now on. Thank you. uh, His his full name was PTSD Barnum, post-traumatic stress disorder Barnum. And they mm, said, let's make, why don't you make light of PT? that? That's a lot of initials to remember. <laughs> uh, so anyway, he has, we see he has a fun family. He has two daughters and they're very quirky. He constructs a sort of wish machine revolving lights coming out of a box thing for his daughter's birthday. Yeah, it's uh, like putting a candle inside a colander. Basically. <laughs> okay. Take away the magic. Sure. If you strip away the fantasy, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> and, uh, wait. That's how easy it is to make a wish machine? I'll show <laughs> you. I can get anything I want. I'll show you afterwards, Stuart. <laughs> I can It'll get, be our craft corner. <laughs> I can get the uh I can get the uh code 
to break into New York's bank vault, and I can take all the money. Well, why wouldn't you just wish for the money? I don't understand. Well, because he enjoys cool. the thrill of the steal. When he's yeah. done, when he, after he takes the money, he's just going to throw it out of a balloon, like I assume they do. And now you see me because he just likes the thrill of the of the hunt. He just likes the steal, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I just like to feel alive for one fleeting moment. Mm. So let's yeah, go on. That's why, he, that's why he shoplifts those batteries. He doesn't need all those batteries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, he, we see that Barnum he he has this real flair for showmanship because he turns what's merely a candle in a colander into a wonderful wish machine for his kids. Then uh, he he's in a waiting room to get a loan for a business, and in the waiting room he encounters a dwarf and the dwarf's mother, and this I guess uh, inspires him to open his curiosities museum. They and at this point, here's what I'm going to say. Don't go into this movie expecting an accurate portrayal of P.T. Barnum's life. That was a, th- something what that What are you I think talking was, about? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a charge that was leveled at this movie when it came out, and it's like, if you're expecting that going in, you've already lost the battle with the movie. Because they do skip over the beginning of Barnum's career when he basically just took an old black lady and took her on tour and told people she was 150 years old and knew George Washington and didn't give her any money. And just kind of his first in, the first act he really got famous with was literally just, hey, do you want to see the oldest black woman you've ever seen? Because she's going to yeah. sit here and she's going to tell you stories about George Washington as a baby that are not true. But they they skip that whole thing. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, it, wait, wait, that wasn't in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they, they skip that part. Uh, Danny, you going to say something? Yeah, well, this is skipping ahead to a more like reviewy final judgments place but like that's the main sticking point of the movie like there's a lot to like in this movie i feel like it's it's handsomely put together but uh the yeah hugh jackman he's gorgeous he's amazing (laughs) but the thesis and zach efron those eyes come on oh my god there's a moment where he gets burned up and i'm like please don't let him lose those muscles (laughs) yeah they melted (laughs) in the fire no, but like, oh no! The, the problem with and this now all the movie, kids are all the all the street urchins on the street corners are selling Zac Efron muscle wax candles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, the the problem with this movie is that its central thesis is bonkers. Yes. which is that, and you don't that, mean the delicious candy bonkers. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that would be a strange thesis to build a movie around. But you know what? Anything that isn't a superhero. No, but this thesis that... (laughs) Thanks, James Cameron. Anyway, Dan, you're saying? This thesis that, like, P.T. Barnum collected all these people around him, what at the time in a less enlightened age would be called freaks, but, you know, like, these different people. And he... Like, the idea that he did that because it was a place of acceptance and, like, they could all... Well, the idea that something they say later on... Something they say later on that we'll get to is them... Is there... Is the... It's... P.T. Barnum is told, it's pretty amazing what you did, putting them on display as equals to every yeah. to normal people. And it's like, well, hold on, what? Usually when someone who looks <laughs> different is put on display, it is not as an equal. Like it's – yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But the concept – the idea that the people that Barnum put on in his show, that this was, that this was both – that this was somehow uh, elevating them you know, yeah. rather than putting them on display for the horrified amusement of – of normies of, of rubes like is is a crazy thing and it's like yeah. uh well but we'll the uh is so we'll we'll get to that point in a moment because P- 
his Curiosities Museum, which is mainly a wax figures house. It's the business is slow, and his daughters tell him that he needs to put <coughs> mythical creatures on display. So he shows up and he hires that dwarf. <laughs> yep. And so he, tells he goes. The dwarf, get, he gets Perseus and he gives him a magical <laughs> shield, and he's like, yeah. "Chop me off a gorgon head, please." <laughs> he's like. Perseus, Medusa, I know you've had your issues, but if you work together this one last time, you'll be set for retirement. And it, that's where you get the show Feud, Perseus, and Medusa <laughs> on FX. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I have nothing to okay, add to so, that, but that was a good reference. Oh, thank you. So Barnum goes to this dwarf and he says, hey, what? Hey, I don't see you as something to be laughed at. I see you as a, an inspiring, respectable figure, a military figure, a colonel. People are going to salute you. And the guy's like, oh, all right. And basically through that kind of BS, he, we then see him signing up like a bearded lady who has a beautiful singing voice, a dog-faced boy, a fat man, a tall man, yeah, et cetera. It's, like, it's like a getting the gang together montage, right? Yeah. Exactly. And none of these characters ever are given any personality. They are to the audience of this movie exactly what they were to the audience in Barnum's time, which is weirdos for us to look at to make Barnum seem like a great, cool guy. And they have the 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 bearded lady is the she has a whole song later on about I've got to be me. No one's going to make me feel bad. This was the song that was nominated for an Oscar, in which mm-hmm. uh, my wife would get really mad because when she was listening to NPR here in California. They would be like, this segment is sponsored by the Academy Award nomination for this song. And they'd play a snippet of the song. And she'd be like, I can't stand hearing the same snippet of the song all the time. <laughs> but uh, like it was making her so mad. And she has this whole song about like, you can't make me feel bad. I got to me. And I wanted to be like, who are you? All I know is that you are a woman with a beard <laughs> who gets mad when people get mad at everybody else. Like who occasionally lifts her fist up as if to say, oh, you can't stomp on me. But like. None of these characters ever get personalities of any kind. They are not – I mean the movie – by the message of the movie is Barnum took these people and made them respected as human beings, but the movie doesn't even treat them as human beings. Like they're just props. Like it's real – that's like I would so much rather see a movie about them than a movie about Barnum. It's like – I and, and that doesn't even get to the point which I started worrying about, which is like no one in the movie I assume except for the man playing Colonel Tom Thumb. No one in the movie seems to have the same body as the character they're playing. They're all in makeup as the bearded lady or tattooed man or whatever. So, like, then the ethics of – what are the ethics of somebody putting on basically what you would call, like, oddity face, you know, Mm -hmm. to play these characters? Like, uh, they – it's basically Gary Oldman in Tiptoes, but for everyone except the character who would be in Tiptoes. And it's like – I don't know. The whole thing – it started being, like, movie – by the same way that Bright is supposed to be like an anti-racist movie, but it is a very racist movie. This it, this seemed to be kind of like I'll wrap it up, Dan. Don't worry. This uh, the this seems to be like one of those movies where it's like we got to treat these people as people, but the movie doesn't treat them as people. Anyway, I'm sorry. I don't want to get off on a rant here, but that's just my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Back to Dennis Miller live, Dan. Yeah, the, <laughs> the uh, yeah, and the the worst is uh. The worst are those trapeze artists. What a couple of what a couple of real freaks. Huh? Well, that's the other thing. And there's trapeze artists, and the only thing about them is that they're black. And it, so it's like, so the movie is like, hey, you know what's like a bearded lady or a man with uh, what's it called, uh, hypertrichinosis, whatever it's called, when you have hair going out of every part of your body. Uh-huh. And you know what's like that being black. And there's no other black characters in the movie, right? Uh, um, I think you're right. 
So the subtext is like, hey, Zendaya, by being a trapeze artist who is also a person of color, you're like a bearded lady. Barnum, well, greatest showman. I mean, they're both valuable people, Elliot. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think that that's. I'm not like saying the... no. I'm not, but I'm, I'm not saying that either one are not <laughs> that either one are not valuable people. But yeah. I'm saying that it is a weird thing to be like, look at all these. We, these people are looked down on by society because they don't fit our sta- our standards of normality. Also, black people. Like, it's yeah. it's a very it's a it's a strange parallel to make. But anyway, Zendaya gets her whole, own whole subplot later on, so we'll get yep. to that because. The museum gets really successful. Barnum sings a musical number about how they shouldn't hide. They should be they should be proud and display themselves because nothing says pride in yourself like going on display so someone can pay a nickel to gawk at you. And like <laughs> a but, whole nickel. Where do I sign up? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dan, I got some bad news. What? I don't think you're ready for the nickel stage here. Oh no. No, no. Maybe a penny, but you're gonna have to do some can you bite a head off a chicken? I, I mean, I can. <laughs> oh. uh, okay. Dan, I mean, that sounds like tough talk, Dan. <laughs> Dan, there's a there's a movie I'd like to, you to see. It's called Nightmare Alley, and I think it's a professional that that you can really get behind. Okay. Uh, so, so, the, so then, wait. Yes. So I'm I'm confused. Are they putting on like big musical shows at the circus, or is that just because it's a musical? I mean, that's I mean, it, it, the way it's suge- it's put together. It's implied that they're doing musical performances for audiences. That's not the way Barnum worked. The way Barnum worked okay. was like, "Hey, look at this guy. Hey, look at this lady." Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but they're kind. But I guess I don't know. You it really was the, the greatest numbers- showman. <laughs> <laughs> Barnum, the greatest showman. Hey, look at that thing. Hey, look over here. They're they're like Barnum. I've had enough of your fast talking humbuggery. You could you could you could talk the shell off a turtle. Yeah, look at that. Hey, look at this thing. Ooh, Barnum danced his words around me. You can't land a, a blow on him because he's too he's so eloquent and witty. Hey, look at that. Hey, what's over there? Now, Elliot, you had mentioned that you had mentioned that uh, that the character Colonel Tom Thumb or General Tom Thumb stands out for you. Now, is it because in the first scene he was introduced, he calls somebody like a flop doodle or a flop dingle? <laughs> I did like that. He uses this ridiculous. I don't even know if it's a real insult from the time. He's like, "What you looking at, flop doodle?" And I was like, "I was like, I want to see more of this character." And I do get to see him, but I don't get to hear him or know him because he has almost no dialogue in the film. But anyway, yeah. the so Barnum's getting successful, but he gets bad press from a character that I didn't even realize till I looked it up on Wikipedia afterwards was supposed to be James Gordon Bennett, uh, one of the most storied newspaper publishers in New York history who everyone hated in real life. Anyway, but they're getting bad press. People are not accepting his performers. There are protests outside, out, outside the museum. And uh, we get another song it's they're all these kind of like high energy pump up. Would you call them like stadium ballads or something like that or stadium? They're like an, they're all anthems. Every song is an anthem yeah. in this movie. There's one song that's not as much of an anthem later that I kind of like, but the rest are all it's all like every every song is supposed to be the big show stopping number, but you can't make a show out of showstoppers cuz you know what happens to the show? It just stops. Exactly. And you know who would know not to do that? The greatest showman. And you so, know who the greatest showman was? Wait, you know who the greatest showman was? Who? I, sh- I think I should know this. God? I- I'll, give, I'll give you two guesses. <laughs> I'll give you two guesses. Okay, uh, Dan just gave a guess. Yeah, God? What was your guess? 
No. <laughs> good, good guess. The answer, okay, you know what? You have one guess. Uh, the answer is Stephen <laughs> you know I mean? J. Cannell. Oh, Stephen J. Oh, Cannell, yeah. producer of a- the A-Team, Riptide, all that stuff. What a showman. <laughs> Rock, Rockford it, Files. Yeah, and he knew how to rip a piece of paper out of a typewriter so that it would fl- fall into the shape of a letter. <laughs> yeah, that does make him the greatest showman, I guess. You know, so, <laughs> yeah. somewhere, somewhere uh, Nick Pizzolato, the creator of True Detective, is hearing this and is super mad. Because <laughs> he thought he was the best. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we are talking about a movie. So Barnum is making money, but he's not accepted into the high society circles. And his girls get made fun of by the other ballerinas in their ballet class because mm-hmm. the, her, their dad works in this, you know, vulgar world of the circus. So what's Barnum got to do? He's got to get himself kind of like a pretty face that everyone respects. And there's no prettier face in America than Zac Efron. That's right. Zach Raffron is like a playwright. He's like a young playwright or play producer. And Barnum asks him to join the, the, the circus museum as a business partner. And it's this weird thing where it's like, so Zach Raffron is already a successful, legit theater guy. And Hugh yeah. Jackman's like, hey, but you know what? You're not having fun. So why don't you join me as my apprentice and you'll get 10% of the proceeds. Instead of being a wealthy man, you'll do okay, but you'll have fun. And this is the one number in the movie that I enjoyed where it's like, the two of them singing and dancing in a bar. And it's like, you know, the song number that they do in hail Caesar where Channing Tatum is dancing around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was like a not like a not parody version of that where it's two guys yeah. dancing around in a bar, like just being like, I got what I want, but you don't got fun. A da 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 da. Like this was the most fun song in the movie to me. Yeah. And it's kind of like a bit of like a dance battle back and forth between of them. I think, the two of them. I think that's being a little charitable. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Uh, it, I do like, trades I do off, like the, I guess. I do like the bartender who's following behind them, cleaning up for them the whole time. Yeah, you're like, what's <laughs> you his know, story? There's a part where <laughs> this bartender just literally rushes through and sweeps something off the floor and rushes out again at one point. And I was like, that guy is amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the uh, and this is this is the first uh, this is the first major decision that seems to happen in a bar. There's a uh, there's one that happens later as well. Uh, which is just, it's nice to see that major, major changes in Barnum's life happen when he, I think later on made a living traveling around as a temperance speaker. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so you're saying that this movie really puts the bar in Barnum. Yeah. I guess I am saying that. Yeah. That was a, the weird poster that they put out for this movie. Like everyone was like, (laughs) why are they? Who are they trying to appeal to with that line? I guess just <laughs> bartenders. Yeah, it's an untapped. They're like, there's four quadrants of uh, audience. There's young young girls, old people, middle aged people, and bartenders. And we are not <laughs> getting enough penetration on the bartender quadrant. Yeah, I mean, is what's the image on the poster? Because if it just says that, I think some people would be like, when they say bars, I'm assuming they mean candy bars. So I'm going to go get one of those candy bars. <laughs> I mean, it still gets good cross promotion. Now, yeah, it makes more sense than the, the ad campaign for people suffering from hypothermia where it said, he puts the numb in bar numb. And they were like, ooh, I'm shivering. Oh, that's not even how you spell the word numb. Oh, I can't feel my hands and feet. Oh, he, I guess I'll go see that he, movie. What's he, a Dracula there? What's he doing over there? <laughs> Blah, blah. Uh, he was shivering in the cold. Is he, are, you, are you suggesting Dracula's just cold all the time? I mean, it makes sense, or he just doesn't know what to say. That's why he wears I mean, a cape. He, gets, he does wear a cape indoors, so. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, but this was the thinking, second. 
that's what I, when I shared an office with Hallie, that's yeah. what I should have gotten her as a gift is a warmth cape that she could wear in the office. She was always cold. she's a Dracula. Yeah, <laughs> not yet. But if she works a little harder, I believe a warmth cape is called a shawl. I believe there's a word for that. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I'll call it a warmth cape. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this was the second number that I liked in the movie. If for those who are keeping track, who are yeah, this in is a suspense. fun number. Yeah. So anyway, and uh, we still got to find out number number three. That number three, but we'll find out when we get there. <laughs> yeah. Don't give away the the secret surprise that the third number was three. Uh, so Zac Efron falls in love with Zendaya's acrobat. We know this because they briefly lock eyes in slow mo, and then she's sassy to him afterwards. Like because everything in this movie is told in shorthand. We don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, but don't worry, they get their duet number later. Uh, people are still protesting Barnum's Museum, but they get an invitation to go meet Queen Victoria, and they charm her with their humorous ways. Uh, that's in England is where Barnum meets opera singer Jenny Lind, the biggest opera star in Europe, and he decides to hire her to class some things up. And she does that by just singing a whole song on stage to an audience, which we see the entirety of. It is not oh. – there's no – there's no dancing or dramatization. It's just her and, on stage. And singing. apparently, this apparently this singer was like Hans Christian Andersen's muse. Guys, Weird. I looked at Wikipedia before we did this <laughs> podcast. I mean, that's great. Yeah, I mean, Jenny Lind was a real person. Sure, now she, one of the uh, great songbirds. This character is played by Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah, yeah. Of uh, Rogue Nation. Dan, why are you salivating? I don't. I just uh, she's <laughs> You're great. Me out, buddy. Uh, uh, <laughs> I was wondering, do you think that everyone sang their own parts? I mean, like, I know that Hugh Jackman and Zach Efron are song and dance men, but uh, do you think Rebecca Ferguson And, and definitely the woman who plays the bearded herself? lady, she sang her song because she's a yeah. Broadway performer. I'm just yeah, impressed. She performed Maybe. at the Academy Awards, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, but people who don't sing perform at the Academy Awards, too. Like uh, Clint Eastwood. Name one. <laughs> uh, he doesn't uh, have, like, a yeah. weird, like, country band. Uh, well, he does do he does do like kind of jazz. He did release an album of jazz standards. That's true. And he and he did that uh, he did that spoken word album where it's him talking to a chair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, yeah. It was called uh, it was called Sweet Charity. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, she speaking of charity, she doesn't like the look in Barnum's eyes when he's looking at Jenny Lynn singing, and Ef- Zach Efron does not like the looks that people give him when he holds hands with his with his acrobat lover. Uh oh. Things are not going to go well. Why? Because it's the time in the movie when complications has to start. So yeah. Barnum is rude to Charity's parents at a at a rich people's soiree after the Jenny Lynn show. This misses Charity off, and Barnum won't let his usual non-normal, you know, you know, his usual performers into this rich people's soiree. I'm not sure why. Like that part of it, yeah. I didn't really uh, understand. I think it, I think it was important for the narrative, but maybe it's the <laughs> idea that he. I mean, it's like because Barnum the whole time is trying to reach to be bigger. Yeah, he's more. obsessed with class. Yeah, that's he true. Was yeah, born low class, so he's trying. He really to wants mix to be in. seen as respectable. Yeah, and he can't be respectable when he's got a lady with a beard standing next to him, or a guy who's super tall. <laughs> yeah, and he can't have a guy super tall standing next to him because it'll just reemphasize how short he is. Yeah. Is, is, is Hugh Jackman a short guy? I don't know. I think that people argued against his casting as Wolverine because he's not that short. Oh, that's true. Well, everyone knew the perfect casting for Wolverine, Stuart. Uh, 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 Elliot Kalen? Uh, no. <laughs> Wizard Magazine but, choice, Glenn Danzig. Oh, I was just, but I thought that's why you've been growing your body hair out. 
no, that's because I'm Jewish. No, that's because that's because my people come from a like place a of cold winters, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I would love to play Puck. I mean, I I couldn't because Puck is a bodybuilder. Because uh-huh. Puck is not. And here here's the thing. Okay, let's talk about Puck for a moment. Because okay. Puck, famously short. He's not uh-huh. naturally short though. He was a regular sized guy who was uh-huh. turned into a short man through mystical means. So, like, yeah. what are the ethics of that, Alpha Flight? Why couldn't you hire a real super short bodybuilder? You had to get a fake super short bodybuilder? And look yeah. at this Sasquatch. Sasquatch uh-huh. is not really a Sasquatch. He's a no. person who turns into a Sasquatch. Yep. <laughs> couldn't hire a real Sasquatch? Come on. No. Yep. Alpha Flight, I know it's Canada. You don't have access to all these things, but you've yeah, got to have real Sasquatches there. Tell me. Uh-huh. Come on. Or at least hire, like, a, like a Wendigo or some other Canada-specific uh-huh. monster. Yep. Now I know Wendigo <laughs> is a villain in the Marvel uh-huh. Universe. He's just a monster who runs around. Get yep. one and train him. Make him a good guy. Come on. Yeah. So El- Dan, uh, do you have, Dan, no, do you have Stuart- any hot oh also box, another uh-huh. Alpha Flight character? Not a box. A robot <laughs> cyborg type. So Dan, do you have any hot takes about Alpha Flight? Uh-huh. No, but Stuart's reaction <laughs> to your uh long tirade reminds me of the time that uh Roman Mars uh, edited <laughs> Justin McElroy into an episode of 99% Invisible. Oh, yeah. Smart stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good bit. That was pretty funny. Mm. Okay, guys. Wow. So I learned uh, a lot about Alpha Flight. I learned that they need to get their act together. So let's get back to the movie, guys. Mm-hmm. So uh, so the the all of his regular performers, they storm this party while singing the Academy Award-nominated anthem, be yourself, stand true to your whatever. I assume yeah, that's the title. I of think it. it's This Is Me. Yeah, this is me. It's basically every song in this movie, except for one or two, maybe, is that Christina Aguilera, You're Beautiful No Matter What They Say song, but yeah. like mm-hmm. higher energy. Like they, it's like okay. they heard yeah, that song. Yeah, mixed with a little like, born this way. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's a real Gaga Guaguera uh, mashup. <laughs> that's Christina, yeah. Christina Aguilera and Lady Gaga mashed together. Which oh, would be man. a horrific thing to do. Why would anyone do that? A couple of songbirds. I'd love to see two songbirds <laughs> melded together through mystical means. Oh, yeah. So, it's uh, like it would be a real all of me situation. <laughs> so P.T. Barnum at this point decides uh, it's time to hit the road, Jack. And so he goes on the mm-hmm. road with his new uh, singer lady. Jenny Lind. And uh, Zach Efron stands up to his parents about how he loves his acrobat. And there's a love scene duet between Zac Efron and the acrobat where there's a lot of like Cirque du Soleil style, like swinging around on a ring that hangs from the ceiling. What's that? What's that called? Is that uh, uh, my wife, Charlene, called it something like the Spanish harness or something. It's like some kind of or the Spanish web. It's because she uh, well, she she's done some light circus training. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So she should be on this podcast for the cir- from the circus. That's why. That's why I, when I first introduced her to my parents, they looked down on her, and I'm like, "No, I love my trapeze artist wife." <laughs> <laughs> they said we never expected you to go with one of the sawdust and tinsel crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, show it is not befitting a Wellington. <laughs> yeah, when when Zac Efron shows uh, Zendaya off to his parents, like it, his dad's fucking monocle basically pops out of his head. It's the most. Like, <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, it's rough. Yeah. Okay. Now, so Stuart, are you we, just are you descended from the actual Wellington who who defeated Napoleon? 
Uh, no, I'm actually descended from the food item. It's a piece of meat <laughs> uh, wrapped in a flaky puff pastry. Uh, That's what I you've been descended that, you from. You know, hum- uh, humble origins. <laughs> well, it doesn't get more humble. Not even descended from a human being, but from no, that's, a cut-off piece thing. of a cow. The thing is, Elliot, we're all creating a lot of carbon, so, you know, anything can happen. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> true, science. I guess. Mick that's world, science. I suppose. It can happen. <laughs> it's a big world. Don't limit your options. Don't let's Don't let science, uh, mm-hmm. Dan, make sure to insert the quotation marks there. Don't let science <laughs> limit your imagination, you know? Hey, Hollywood, <laughs> I got some ideas for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Charity, Barnum's wife, wants him to stop going on tour with Jenny Lind, but he leaves anyway. Charity sings a song about why isn't why isn't their life enough for him? Why does he always need more? Uh, and Jenny Lind, she gets mad that it turns out Barnum, I guess, doesn't actually return the feelings she has for him. Like, she has a crush on him, but for him it's all just business. And she says, I'm going to leave after this show. And at the end of the show, as camera bulbs are flashing, she kisses him on stage. Uh-oh. That's not going to look good in the papers. Actually, it will look very good in the papers as a scandal, which sells papers. Yeah, and it looks great because it's it's not – they don't even publish the photo. They publish like a drawing of it, right? Yeah, it's like a woodcut. So, like, I don't know what the purpose of taking the picture was. Yeah, they're like, also- well, I mean, they had Charles Burns on call, so they're going to do that. <laughs> oh wow! I didn't realize it was Charles Burns who did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he had, he took a break from doing a cover for Believer magazine, I guess, <laughs> to, to do this Barnum story. Uh, so the uh, the rowdies who hate all the non you know cis bodied people. And I guess they're all cis bodied because they're in the bodies they were born in. What would you call like what's a what's a respectful way to describe someone who at the time would have been called like an oddity? You know. Yeah, yeah well, that's what I've been struggling with throughout the podcast. That's, Is that why you've said so little? Uh, yeah, I mean, I keep spacing out because I keep getting uh, concerned with this technical thing with Skype, but uh, it's fine. Oh, I thought I mean, it was because you were, is... in your head, you were just going through all your favorite songs. Yeah. What was that I think that's This Is Me or We Are Great or... right. All the songs have have a source chorus in it that's like huh huh mm-hmm. huh huh <laughs> or like oh da 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 oh da, da, for da, the da, longest da, da, da. time <laughs> whoa for the greatest showman oh yeah the soundtrack's all by Billy Joel did we not mention that <laughs> yeah oh man I would love you can show have so anything you want at our greatest show circus tent. Mm-hmm. That was that restaurant song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Uh, so which song do you guys think if it was put out? <laughs> if, thank you, Stuart. Which song do you think if it was put out as like <laughs> and Stuart a with the save would be like the big hit? You oh. know how like uh, One Night in Bangkok from Chess, from Chess? Is, uh, is such a huge smash? Which on an earlier episode I incorrectly said was an Andrew Lloyd Webber show. Right. Uh, I, mean, I don't. I I can't keep track of all your incorrect statements. Oh, you know, I think I, I think what it was was that I think I said it was a. Ah, well. Anyway, I incorrectly said something about chess earlier. I apologize. Correction. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, but yeah, like what? So what you're asking? What would be the big radio hit from yeah. it? Uh, uh, maybe the big 
love thing between Zendaya and uh, oh, okay. Zac Efron. Maybe it's such a boring song, though. But that seems like the kind of song that becomes a hit, like a crossover. Oh, there was that one song in the movie about how Barnum was a rebel just for kicks, yeah? And he'd been doing it since 1966, yeah? That sounds like that could be a radio hit if it was removed from the song, con- the, the context of the movie. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. And there was that one, there, there was that one where, where Jenny Lind was singing about how she doesn't dance now, she makes money move. <laughs> yep. Now, the thing about that sounds Jenny like that Lind could be a radio hit is when Jenny Lind comes out to sing for the first time and like the movie tries to build on a little bit of anticipation because Barnum at this point hadn't even heard her sing. And she gets up there and everybody's excited. I don't know about you guys, but I was really hoping she was going to do that number from The Fifth Element. <laughs> where that alien <laughs> like, oh, 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 oh. that goes through all the different pitches. Oh, man, I would have fucking loved it. If this movie had done that, best she, like, movie, it would have been the greatest show, man. She slowly, <laughs> she slowly puts on a hat that looks like the tentacles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or what if she just put on a big, like... Just put on a big Jamiroquai hat and just did their song. No, and everyone's uh, like virtual insanity. <laughs> that, that's right. Virtual, <laughs> and she still and she, and she had, going around on the stage like they do in the music video. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because it's the weird. He's like she goes out on stage and he's like, I haven't even heard her sing yet. Well, she's already a famous opera singer. She was famous enough that Queen Victoria asked her to perform for her. So like that's a pretty good recommendation. It's a little bit li- like a like. There are certain performers that like, like if you asked me uh, to say, to, like if you said, have you ever seen a, uh, like, I'm trying to think of who's who's a big music who big musician that like if you you were like, have you heard any Adele songs? No, I haven't. Well, she's a number one pop recording artist. You're gonna hire her for your concert? I guess so, but I don't know if she's any good. <clears throat> well, she's already like a platinum selling recording artist, so it's not that big a risk, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I think that part of it is just that he's beguiled by her. Okay. Because yeah, that's what, what, what the beguiled is about. Yeah. It yeah. is? Yeah, the beguiled is all about P.T. Barnum and Jenny Lynn. <laughs> yeah, oh. the beguiled is actually just a five-minute segment of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That they cut out. <laughs> and there's so, a lot of credits. Uh, unfortunately. Okay, so Barnum's life seems to be at its lowest ebb, but that ebb is about to get even lower because those rowdies... They attack the theater. There's a fight between them and the performers. Oh, yeah, this is why I was trying to figure out their – this is why I'm calling them the performers because it's hard for me to think of a name for them yeah. that's, not, that's not dismissive or derisive. Uh, and one of the rowdies starts the fire – starts a fire, and the museum burns down, which is well, a real they, thing. And they real start life. a fight, is and the, at that point you're like, you're like, why did they pick a fight with them? Because, like, they all have these performing skills. Like, even Oro from Street Fighter Three, who only fights with one arm, just fucks people up, dude. Like <laughs> – like they're doing all these like flip attacks on them. Like, yeah, that's true. What they were they and thinking? The, and the, the fat man like bounces a guy away with his belly, which is like, okay, now he's just the blob from X Men. Like <laughs> yeah. that's not cool. That doesn't happen in real life. That's not <laughs> no, like that man ran work. into. Like, <laughs> wait, wait, but but wait, when you grow a giant belly, it doesn't become super dense and tough and less sensitive to pain. <laughs> no, it comes none of those things. <laughs> yeah, it also doesn't have the recoil of a big pink rubber ball. Mm. Uh, <laughs> let my friend Baron Munchausen introduce you to his friends who uh, have similar abilities. I guess. Oh yeah. Uh. 
Zac Efron gets very badly hurt, but and Barnum runs into the fire to save him. Barnum shows up in town just in time for to catch the fire. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's in the hospital, and Zendaya is mm-hmm. watching over him, seemingly. So wait, are you saying that Barnum is always there? Barnum is such a great guy, and he's like immune to and collapsing showman. building. Yeah, <laughs> like, and he saves Zac Efron's life. He's just amazing. He's just the best guy. Yeah, he's the okay. he's the sweetest, loveliest man. And did, uh, you, did you guys check so, his? You know, uh, did you check his life? Did he actually save a guy from a fire? Uh, I, mean, I didn't go deep into Barnum's life. No, did you, Elliot? I mean, his his museum did burn down, but I don't think he ran in and saved anybody's life. And I do love that he he's like sitting on the steps of his burned down museum when uh, when that the reporter shows up and talks to him. And then hands him a newspaper that's basically like Barnum's life is ruined, and he's like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> what happened to me?" Well, this 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 reporter who has hated Barnum this whole time, he's the one who's been writing all these articles about how Barnum is bad. Get him out of here. He shows up and he goes, "You know, someone, some other critic might say that by elevating these people and showing them as equals, you were celebrating them and." Doing a good, doing a great thing for humanity. Like this is the moment where this character comes in and is like, "You've opened my eyes to the power of putting people on display because they are formed differently than everybody else." You really showed me that by exploiting these people, you're the hero and I'm the asshole. So kudos to you, Barnum. Here's a newspaper that says you're having an affair. Your life's ruined. <laughs> See ya. See ya. <laughs> it's a real "see ya" wouldn't want to be a moment. Yeah, it's great. Like, uh, his reaction to finding out his life is ruined is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the bank takes his home. His wife leaves him. Barnum, all that he can do is put the bar in Barnum and go back to a bar that is decorated with photos of his own personal history, which is kind of weird. Does he own uh, that bar? No, I mean, I think it's like one of those theme. It's like a Planet Hollywood. <laughs> Let's see. It's a Barnum's personal life themed bar. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's because it's all photos. it's a it's a bar with pictures of him and his family on the walls. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, and he's drinking maybe to death until those lucky people, those personalityless people who, without Barnum, would have been forced to hide themselves rather than charging people money to look at them. They come in and they say, "Hey, Barnum, you gave us pride in ourselves. You gave us a family, and you gave us a home." And does this? Do you think this leads to a rousing musical number about how they're never going to give up and they're going to be true to themselves where they dance around the bar? Uh, no, they probably just cut away because that seems like <laughs> the end of the scene. <laughs> uh, Dan, all contraire, I hate to break it to you. We get a rousing musical number about, about hey, things are going to be good. It, it's like Barnum has, has been at a low ebb for maybe, what, two minutes of screen time? Mm-hmm. And it's time for another, like, Rousing, we're the best, everybody's great. Barnum, go get him, you're the hero of the world. And this was one of those points where it was like, it's just like, oh, all the all the circus performers are dancing. And it's like, I started feeling weird again about like my relationship to them as a as an onlooker, as a spectator, you know? Uh-huh. At what point was I like, was I culpable in treating them as objects because the, let's just say, the dancing is great. All the dancers in the movie are really fantastic. But to have them dancing while dressed as like kind of human oddity performers is a it just opens up a can of worms that I don't want to open. Keep that can of worms closed. In fact, why are you handing me a can of worms that's open? I don't need worms. I'm not a fisherman. Yeah, why do they put worms in a can anyway? Right? 
Yeah, yeah. it's not good for the worms. I mean, it's like, hey, certainly give, not a sealed a can. can of, uh, no, it's sealed at the factory for freshness. <laughs> no. Those poor worms. Get me a can of Campbell's Chicken and Stars soup. That's what I want because I'm a kid and I'm sick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Campbell, yeah, Campbell's, Dan, why are you making him podcast? Uh, yeah, jo- Joseph Campbell, pluck the stars out of the sky and put them in soup form for me. <laughs> so I can achieve my dreams of eating the very universe itself. Okay. And chicken. Uh, we're so close to the end. I feel like <laughs> of our of everything. Uh, yeah. So they they uh, Zach Efron's alive. They uh-huh. hang yep. out in the ruins of the the circus, and then they're like, "Hey, let's just do another one." Yeah. Well, they're like, <laughs> and then and well, Zach, Zach Efron's Efron. like equal partners, right? And all the performers are like, "Yay, they're equal partners." <laughs> Even yeah. though we're the ones who are putting this thing into motion again, and they it's realize like, glad that you guys are making a lot of money off of us. Yeah, but they realize that buying uh, land in Manhattan is prohibitively expensive. So instead, they're like, we could just put a tent up and that'd be where we perform. And I assume later on, they're like, hey, we can move this tent around to different different cities. We don't see that Mm -hmm. part. No, you don't. You don't. The audience has to make that connection. Yeah, the franchising part of it doesn't get into it. There is a great scene where... uh, where he, he goes to fetch his to try and convince his wife to take him back, and he goes to her parents' house, and her dad is like waiting at the door, and he's like, "I'd like to see my wife," and her dad's like, "She ain't here." <laughs> like it's the most <laughs> hilarious. And like, and then the kids are immediately like, "Oh yeah, she's down at the beach." Like it's the it's yeah. the lamest thing. And he goes and apologizes to her. Now, here's the thing that I, I didn't fully realize is, so Zac Efron's character is supposed to be Bailey, right? From Barnum and Bailey? Oh. Why didn't they just Why didn't they just name him Bailey? Yeah. Because that's, I kind of wish the movie ended with, uh, they're doing this big show, and they, have a, they again, they have a big musical number about how they're great. Now there's CGI animals involved. It's really amazing. And Barnum retires. He, uh, he says... Zach Efron, you take over. I'm going to live my life. And he goes and watches his daughter's dance recital. I wish that during that big number, it had panned over to two guys, two identical twins, and it just says Ringling Brothers on their shirts. And they go, mm-hmm. oh, I think there's something here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the uh, I'm surprised that they didn't do a thing where he uh, where as he's leaving, he's like, now I'm going to go join a real circus, American politics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those clowns in Washington. Because uh, po- thanks once again, thanks to Wikipedia, yeah. guys. I looked at Wikipedia today. Okay. Uh, yeah, he was like he was a mayor of what Bridgeport, Connecticut, for a while. Oh wow! I think so yeah. And uh, yeah, and that's the but that's the great story, of the greatest showman. It ends with another big musical number. We've seen a bunch, and now we've seen another. And Dan, was yeah, that the low one you liked? Was that the third one, the one with the end? No, animals? we didn't even talk about the third one, which was uh, there was a big. Number between Zendaya and Zac Efron on like an aerialist rope. Yeah, uh, yeah we yeah. talked about that. Did we? Yeah, yeah. I called right. it like a Spanish web or something. Yeah. Oh, Dan, well, are you okay? Maybe it was because you called it something that I was totally unfamiliar with. That I was like, "What? What are you saying?" Like that's, no, you, I, to me, that's just aerialism. Wow. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> it's so all aerialism to me, says Billy didn't, Joel. Didn't mean to piss you off. All right. <laughs> what? Well, calm down, dude. Dan, no one's arguing with you about this. Call it whatever you want. We don't care. It's fine. All right. 
Look, I just get really mad about aerialists. <laughs> okay, whoa, all right, whoa. We're going to have to cut all this stuff out. People are going to get really mad about Dane's feelings about aerialism. So we, uh, and we get to see some elephants. That's great. It's nice to see <laughs> elephants in the circus, right, Dan? Uh, no, Stuart. They are <laughs> abused creatures. Who, I mean, uh, it is it is amazing how, how, do we talk about this when we talked about going to see the last Ringling Brothers shows? That, like, they it, the elephants are what makes the circus. Like, they announced, we're not, doing ele- we're not doing elephants anymore. And people stopped going to the circus. And the circus that had been around for 160 years shut down. Like, that's yeah. crazy. People love elephants. And you know what? Yeah, because they're incredible animals. I'm not immune to it. I love elephants. Just call me a sufferer from el- of elephantiasis. I love elephants, too. Call sure. me the elephant man. Sure. I, I love elephants. <laughs> sure. That's how, is that how he got? Is that how John Merrick got his name? Because he loved the animal, the elephant. That's yeah. It actually wasn't related to his his terrible, terrible disability that he had to suffer under. It was all about because he loved elephants so much. Okay, can we all re- yeah. agree that that's the most ridiculous part of that movie? Though, when like his mom, I guess, gets trampled by an elephant at the beginning of it, it's kind of unclear exactly what, what happened. Greatest but... Showman. I don't remember that one. No, in the elephant. I mean, the man. elephant man. Yeah. Well, it's it's. I guess it's supposed to be metaphorical. Here's the thing about the elephant man. <laughs> he didn't he didn't really love elephants that much, but it was one of those things uh-huh. where like he had a couple elephant things. Yeah. And people were like, yeah. "Oh, he likes elephant stuff. I'll get him elephant stuff for his birthday." Yeah. Every time people are on vacation and they see like a little carving of an elephant, they go buy it. Exactly. They're like, John would like this. <clears throat> uh, so, final judgments. Was this a good bad movie? A bad bad movie? Or a movie you kind of like, Stuart? What do you have to say? Oh man, uh, you know I'm, I'm not super guys. You know I'm not super experienced with musicals. Uh, I I kind of I'm kind of being a harsh critic on the music for this one because I've been spending the last week just listening to Nightfall and Middle Earth by Blind Guardian, <laughs> which is their album about the Silmarillion, and it's really great. Uh, so I'd like to recommend that tonight, uh, but, uh, no, this is, I mean, this is a, this is a big movie, original movie musical. Um, and I don't think the music is paced particularly well and the subject matter is a little concerning. So I would say this is a bad, bad movie. Yeah. I kind of wanted to like this because everyone's putting their whole heart into it. And I like it when they try something like doing a, a big movie musical that's original. I mean, like that's it's good to have that kind of uh, diversity and types of films out there. Um, but uh, yeah, the core premise of the movie kept me from enjoying it enough to recommend it as anything other than a bad bad movie. I think I would have liked it more as a stage show than yeah. I liked it as a movie. But it's still. I like yeah, I want to give it I want to give it more credit for its intentions than I end up wanting to give it for its execution, you know? Yeah. So, I'm going to say I'm going to go with the flow on this one, guys. I'm going to just follow the crowd on this one. I'm not going to be a Barnum and stand up for difference. I'm just going to go with you guys. Is there a dog in a car at a bar on the street? Yay! I'm Allegra Ringo, a small dog owner. My dog Pistachio howls when she's excited. And I'm Renee Culvert, a big dog owner. My dog Tugboat tips over when he's sleepy. And we co-host a podcast called Can I Pet Your Dog that airs every Tuesday. We bring you all things dog. Yes, dog news, dog tech, dogs we met this week. We also have pretty famous guests on butt legs. 
We're not going to let them talk about their projects. No. Just want to hear about those dogs. We don't want to hear about your stuff, only your dogs. So join us every Tuesday on Max Fun. Thank you so much to the over 28,000 members who joined or upgraded during the 2018 Max Fun Drive and to all of our monthly members. You showed up in full force to help us reach our goal and to show our appreciation. We're putting up this year's batch of Max Fun Drive exclusive enamel pins on sale for all $10 and up monthly members. And just like last year, we're giving all the profits to charity. For 2018, we're supporting the National Immigration Law Center. The sale will run from May 18 through May 28, so don't miss it. $10 and up monthly members will be receiving personalized code and instructions to purchase pins on May 17. So keep your inbox open and notifications on. For more details, head over to MaximumFun.org pins. And to learn more about the National Immigration Law Center and support them directly, you can go to NILC.org. Well, we uh, should move on to first... Thank our sponsors, or in this case, we have one sponsor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Archie is currently right under Stuart's chin. <laughs> yeah, Stuart's face was framed by a cat, which was adorable. <laughs> uh, so that's a little peek behind the curtain to what's happening on the table here at Flophouse HQ. Uh, Dan, did we have a sponsor or do we not have a sponsor? <laughs> <laughs> Flophouse is sponsored in part by Blue Apron. Mmm, yummy. Blue Apron delivers farm fresh, perfectly portioned ingredients and step-by-step recipes so you can make incredible meals at home. Rediscover how fun cooking can be while enjoying specialty ingredients and exploring new flavors and cuisines. Get $30 off your first order by visiting blueapron.com slash flophouse. So if you want to make food, but if you don't like going through all that trouble of making food but you're still sort of making food, then Blue Apron is for you. I mean, I don't think that's exclusively the draw. I think the draw is also not having to go to the store and buy bulk ingredients that you're going to use part of and then throw most of away. Because yeah, it's less wasteful. Yeah. And also, yeah. the food tastes good. Yeah. And it comes, I mean, that's always, it comes right to your door. That's always a benefit with food, when it tastes good. Yeah. All right. All right. Turn down the blast, buddy. Sorry, Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> oh wow! Somebody give me my fucking my pan holders so that I don't burn myself on those hot takes. Yeah. So I could. Can anyone have any ointment for the burn I just sustained? <laughs> um, we don't have any jumbotrons this week. Hey, look. I'll just say about Blue Apron. We've all had personal good experiences with Blue Apron. It's uh-huh. good stuff. Yeah. We don't. We don't have any jumbotrons, but we do have something to promote for ourselves, right, Dan? Yeah, I was just I was first going to say if you want to get up on the Jumbotron, it's maximumfun.org slash Jumbotron. But are you talking about our live shows, Elliot? I am talking about our live shows. Oh yeah, the Flophouse is going on tour. We're going to three places. It's the yeah. biggest it's our world tour. Yep. Ow. There's still tickets available for all of these shows, except possibly the one in Brooklyn, because the Bell House has been tweeting out that there's only a few seats left, so I don't know. There's a chance at. that is not just a marketing ploy. That in yes. fact it might be <laughs> sold out. Uh, but you it can is check stranger on than it. fiction, so it's probably a fact. Mm-hmm. You can check on any of these shows at the flophousepodcast.com or just flophousepodcast.com dot oh, com uh, <laughs> slash events. Okay, here's no, the, here's I was going to say the flophousepodcast.com page. But then I realized oh. that it was confusing halfway through my said, sentence. And you said, no, 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 just flophousepodcast.com, which is also not the correct URL. 
Yeah, it is. It's here's no, it's not just flophousepodcast.com. <laughs> okay, well you're right there. So it's flophousepodcast.com slash events. And yeah, we're gonna be May twenty sixth, we're gonna be in Washington, DC. We're talking about Geostorm. June seventh, we're in Brooklyn talking about the Dark Tower. And June thirtieth, we'll be in Seattle talking about the mummy. In a way, there's a theme. I don't know if you can see it, but mummies sometimes live in dark towers and they no. often cause geostorms. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait, so would you call a pyramid a dark tower? Because that's where mummies always live. I mean, at night. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> Can something I mean, with that wide a base be called a tower? I mean, it's not a hole. There's no. only I mean, two is, options a, here. Either something's a hole or a tower. Is that... <laughs> Yeah, there's There's dichotomy you're positing here. I mean, I haven't finished architecture school, Dan. (laughs) But that was the introduction. Uh, Every building is either a hole or a tower. Which one you choose (laughs) to focus on is entirely up to your personal tastes. And I think an architecture professor. (laughs) Professor, what's this architecture professor's name? Uh, Wilhelm von Gutenstein. Okay, well, oh, and does he also That's have adventures German for, with- for Goodstein? <laughs> yeah, is, <laughs> and uh, did he? Uh, and like the government comes to him and is like, he's uh, like the Nazis are trying to get a hold of a mystical building. We need your help." And he's like, "Ah, so that building belongs in a museum." <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he saves the day with the aid of like I don't know a zeppelin or something, mm-hmm. and then they yeah, reveal that there's actually a third type of building, and that's I'm not going to spoil it, but it's great. Okay. <laughs> so well, those are our shows. If you're in the D.C. area, go May 26th. If you're in the New York area, go June 7th. If you're in the Seattle area, go June 30th. And I, I think I mentioned this last time. I'm going to push myself, and I'm going to try to do presentations at those shows that are only for those shows and never again. So if you want exclusive Elliot Kalin jokes, you got to go to those shows. Dan, I just got to let you know that your cat's breath smells like fish. Okay. So good job you. for that report. I mean, I guess you're confirming that I feed my cat, which is a good thing. Here's how I assume you feed your cat, Dan. You hand it a whole fish, and it just dips it into its mouth and then pulls the bones out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does it do with As those bones? As one complete skeleton. Does it play those bones like a little xylophone? <laughs> you know in a, it. In a band with its cat buddies? Mm-hmm. And then if I crank Archie's tail, it plays turkey the straw. <laughs> so... Now, Dan, before you knew that it could play that song, that would be a cruel thing to do, to just crank a cat's tail. You're lucky uh, a song played. Yeah, Archie loves it. Music <laughs> uh, music has charms to soothe the savage beast, so um, anyway. Speaking of savage beasts, what do we do next on the podcast? Next we talk to you savage beasts out there in email land. People send us emails and we answer them. It's called the Flophouse Movie Mailbag, or it was at one point, and then we stopped calling it that. <laughs> okay, now guys... For this one, now you know me. I like to do a song before the mailbags. Uh-huh. And for this one, I thought I'd do a huge show-stopping power anthem number, just like in The Greatest Showman. And I'd start it off kind of quiet. It would be something about how, like, these are the letters, the letters of your life. Don't lose the letters. And then it would grow and grow, and you'd have, like, a chorus in the background. This would probably be you guys going, like, whoa, oh, whoa, oh, 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 whoa, oh, whoa. And the music would get bigger and bigger, and then, like, the lights would go on, and I'd be like, 
letter time. And then it would be really big and there'd be like a thousand performers and like 10,000 voices all chiming in together. And they're kind of like weaving in and out of each other. Sometimes there's some auto-tuning and like vocoder, but not always. And me, and I'm like the center of this whirlpool of sound and like letter songs and like all the letters are singing and they're all played by famous performer, you know, like John Legend is one of the letters and probably like uh, Beyonce is another one of the letters and like, I don't know, like the ghost of Frank Sinatra is one of the letters, like all the biggest singers from history. Jenny Lind herself shows up in oh, the form wow. of like, and she and everyone's like, what, the real one? And they all applaud. That's a show-stopping point. Now, while this song is going on, we're also seeing this montage of like where we're going, the adventures we're having with these letters, people writing the letters and putting them in the mail. Maybe there's like a little kid who like really wants a dad and like sends us a letter. And maybe there's like a, uh, like, a girl who's really pretty, but she she doesn't have the confidence to believe in herself, and she sends us a letter. And maybe there's like uh, like somebody who just needs the strength to like finish their physical therapy and learn how to walk again, and they're gonna send us a letter. And then me and like God writes us a letter in lightning bolts on like a big tablet, and He gives it to uh, Moses no, to send like, to us, like Zeus. Uh, yeah, I mean that's a god. I was talking about the the main god. You oh, know. Okay, capital uh, G. But, yeah, exactly, capital G down a dash. And then a capital D. And uh, so, like, it's just all these letters are coming together. And me, and then there's, like, us digging through the mailbags while the song is going on. Just like, letters, 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 letters. And then it shows us going on in our lives and how the letters affect us. And our letters, mm-hmm. our responses save the lives of all these people and give them the things, like, kind of answer the fantasies and the needs that they didn't even know how they had. And there's a lot of like, this is your moment. The letters. Yeah. The fantasy never leave. This is the world of letters. And like, just there's a rap breakdown and like all the biggest rappers in history are there. It's like MC hammers there. Kanye West is there. <laughs> Tupac Shakur is there. Biggie Smalls. Oh, and I'm a like, deep well, yeah. Tupac and Biggie hug and the feud is over. And like, oh, everyone's wow, just okay. roaring that this song has managed to do these things all through the power of letters and find the John T letter himself, the man who invented the letter walks uh-huh. out and he bestows garlands on each of us for bringing oh, wow. the, yeah. this to like its greatest conclusion. And it follows us as like the glory of this keeps with us through all our days until the day uh-huh. all of us are dying on our deathbed together in a three person deathbed. And we die. And when we die, we dissolve into gold dust and that gold dust gets turned into ink to write the greatest lever letter ever written. And then it's like, and it just goes bow. And that's, and it, we just see that final letter and a little kid gets it. And he's about to open it up and find out what that letter says. And that's the number. Oh, that's kind of like the end of, uh, what is that, Irredeemable, the Mark Wade comic? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where That inspires Simon Schuster, uh, Simon, Siegel and Schuster, not Simon Schuster. So anyway, that's the number I wanted to do, and it starts like this. So no, letters no, letter. no, Wait, no, no, okay. I'm going to do the number now. No, we lost this, <laughs> no, no more time, so. Wait, no. <laughs> We're... We're uh, Guys, we're losing our lease on the flop house. Yeah, I, <laughs> I've, got, I've got a I've got a fifty five minute show show stopping uh, musical number to do. I don't want to. I don't want to have to tell the affiliates we're going long tonight. So oh, so I guess I'll just go tell Tupac and Biggie that they're getting pushed to next episode. They're gonna yeah. love that. I'll be bumped. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, do these letters. <laughs> this first one is from Matthew Last Name Withheld. Matthew Lasco. I'd like to address the claims made by the alleged Elliot Kalen. At the end of virtually Wait, every episode. Wait, is he episode, alleging that I'm not Elliot Kalen? Well, we'll see by the end of the, the letter. Okay. At the, at the end of virtually every episode, Elliot claims that he is himself and will always be himself. But how can he be sure? 
Even by the time the podcast goes public, he may have changed significantly and permanently, thus rendering his past promises null and void. The fact that Elliot, one of the th- my three favorite floppers, has such a cavalier attitude about his future does nothing for my chronic anxiety. He's a son, for God's sake. So my question is this. What is your favorite kind of movie to discuss on the Flophouse? Bad, bad, good, bad, or kind of likable? Matthew with last name withheld. Well, uh, a lot of accusations were leveled there, and I have to admit, it's true. Your your skin cells and your body cells overturn after a certain amount of time, and you become physically a different person than you were. So it's that old it's the thing. You have a hammer. You replace the head of the hammer. You replace the handle of the hammer. It's still the same hammer that you started with. I'll I'll leave that one to the philosophers. Philosophers like Stu Wellington. Stu, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, I guess it's still your hammer. <laughs> I mean, well, it's your hammer. <laughs> Certainly, like the law. Why are you, you saying it like the, that? You don't yeah, lose it's my the, hammer. The ownership of the hammer, just through the transference of matter. So, my favorites are the good bads. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm in agreement with that. Do you want to say anything about why? No, it's okay. You don't have to. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of the asked and answered by Dan himself. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of the, uh, purpose of the podcast. So I'm, you know, still excited whenever we find a good, bad, like Dan's, Dan's always on the hunt. You'd call him a hunter of sorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's hunting for movies that are good, bad movies. I was trying to come up with some kind of way to, way to fit milf hunter into a joke and i yeah. just got too tired <laughs> i thought you were just gonna i thought you were just gonna say it outright i didn't even think you're gonna try and go for like a clever way of i mean i tried and then i gave up because uh yeah you know i'm not very good at this all right elliot what do you hey, have to say I'm gonna say it, movies i like to flop hunter that's the joke milf hunter oh, for okay. dan is movies i like to flop hunter oh okay. yeah i guess that makes sense yeah <laughs> that's uh so yeah i mean good bad movies are the most fun to watch and certainly there's sometimes when it's a bad, bad movie that I enjoy talking about with you guys because we can live the pain together. But, uh, yeah, good, bad movies are are super fun. And I'll never forget the day you guys made me turn my food fight choice. You convinced me to turn it from bad, bad to good, bad. And you know what? I never looked back. Yeah. So thank you, guys. Thank you for being a friend. Okay. Travel down the road and back again. Uh, okay. Stuart's <laughs> uh, uh, taking his cans off and... <laughs> He wears cans for shoes. (laughs) Andy, last name withheld, writes, I'm a new listener and convert from how did this just, how did this get made? I'm still working (laughs) my way. No, call it, how did this just get made? (laughs) The the podcast where you're like, why did they make this movie years ago? (laughs) Usually Uh, technological imitations. um, I'm still working my way through the backlog and I'm loving this journey of bad movies and it's inspired me to see Castle Freak. I have one question for you. If you could cast Nicolas Cage as any character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, who would you pick? My choice would be the Sentry. I can't wait to hear yours. Andy, last name withheld. That's a controversial um, choice, the Sentry. That's not a character I love, to be honest. What if he was like uh, Cyclops' dad? Uh, wait. Uh, it's Cyclops' uh, dad, Corsair, of the Star Trek yeah, yeah, Corsair. That's a good one. I mean, is that technically Marvel Cinematic Universe at this point? Cause uh, I guess the X-Men, yeah, would not be in uh, the MCU. It, I mean, it will be when, when Disney buys 20th Century Fox. Yeah, that's true. But not currently. But, uh, so here's my choice, guys. It's the only choice I could... It's the only conceivable choice as far as I'm concerned. There's yeah. a little superhero I've always wanted to write. His name is D-Man. Uh-huh. He is super. He's a super strong wrestler who is occasionally homeless. 
and sometimes uh-huh. has issues with other he- heroes not wanting to work with him. I would love to have Nicolas Cage play D-Man, who's a character who's like, I feel like there's a lot of depth in him, and that doesn't get used, and I'd love to have a character in the Marvel Universe who, like, is also a hero and just doesn't get along with the other ones in the same way. I feel like the Avengers, they're all like, we're the cool bros. We're all super cool. We all get along, even though we kind of give each other shit every now and then. But to have a character where they're like, all right, we'll team up with this guy. Okay. And he's super enthusiastic about it. Like, I can't, I'm so happy I get to fight with you guys. And they're like, all right, we can, I guess we need a little bit extra muscle. We'll take D-Man along. I would love to have that. That's Nicolas Cage's D-Man. Put it up, put, do it right now, Marvel. I mean, I think the the two more obvious choices for me, obviously, are, uh, I mean, I think you would make a great Wonder Man, you know, a movie star slash super strong guy. I mean, that's that's perfect. I mean, mm. he's got the raw charisma for it and the body, of course. Um, <laughs> the other one, of course, uh, the other one to play into Nicolas Cage's strengths for like crazy kooky characters. So I think he could I think he could do a really good Moon Knight. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Moon Knight's a good choice. I mean, I mean, he's, he's a, I think he's about the right age for that character. Uh, you mean in his fifties? <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, but he can play like late twenties, right? Uh, uh probably uh, not. <laughs> I mean, if there's a lot of grease on that lens, maybe. <laughs> hey guys, you know, it'd be a pretty cool match for Nicolas Cage. In fact, I think if they made movies with him as this character, they'd be amazing movies. Ghost Rider. They both got that cool, like, leather jacket feel. Why don't they do, like, a Ghost Rider movie with Nicolas Cage? Uh, And I mean, and Ghost Rider is such a relatable character that I can really see, like, because both Nicolas Cage and Ghost Rider have a skull for a head. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, Nicolas Cage has flesh and hair on it, and Ghost Rider has fire on it, the flesh and hair of nature. But, you know, flesh and hair, you know, share 99% of their DNA with fire. That's sure. a, that's a, by the way, that's a shout out to a friend of mine pointed out this, uh, this old interview that Nicholas Cage did when talking about Ghost Rider and somebody asked him why, what makes Ghost Rider relatable? Why, why did you want to play this character? And his reason is because you could see that he's got a skull and thus he has bones and a skeleton like everyone else. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, okay. This next letter is from uh, Mad's last name withheld. Mm-hmm. What? Who writes? Yeah, Nicholson? who knows? Who knows? I mean, I mean, that's a that's a pretty good guess. There's no one else with that name, so. I mean, it could easily be Mad's magazines. Uh huh. Yeah. This says, "Dearest, most charming peaches." First, I'd like to say that start this letter by saying that your donors only Max Fun Drive 2017 episode was my first, and despite being called an idiot by Elliot. And the explicit message of, and I quote, go fuck yourself, we don't need you, from Stuart. I'm still here, an eager podcast gremlin, laughing along to your good, good goofs, which have really helped to take the edge off my sleet-filled finals week. Uh, he goes on to say, despite not having seen most of the movies you cover, you cover, I keep thinking back to possibly the most buckwild movie I've ever watched. In Easter, I wor- a word I use as loosely as possible, animated flick called The Easter Egg Adventure. A movie that proved a movie that proved much more hard hitting than anyone in my family expected. My favorite dreamlike memory of this movie begins brings me to my questions. Firstly, which of your favorite movies would you want to see a gritty animated reboot of? Any specific animation style or studio actors, directors you'd like to see bring it to life? If an answer to this escapes you, what about the other way around? Which animated movie would you want to see a dramatic live action retelling of? 
And yes, Dan, feel free to cast Jackie Chan in it, even if you forget he's there. <laughs> There's some peachiness and floppiness, Mads. So either a gritty animated reboot or a gritty reboot of animation. Oh, wow. How would you like to see that realized? Uh, man, that, that Rubik's Cube show would make a really awesome, like, gritty, hard-hitting teen thriller. Oh, uh, yeah, Rubik the Amazing Cube. Yeah, and but they could do it, uh, I feel like you would want to do it, like, uh, found footage style. <laughs> I mean, that's basically they did that movie with that space robot. That was basically oh, right. a found footage version of ET, but with a space robot. Oh, like man. Echo, Echo to Echo to Alpha or something like that, or Echo yeah. Echo yeah. Ten or. Okay, then yeah. I'll think of something. Earth else. to Echo. Is Earth that what's called? Yeah, we, Echo we, we the watched Dolphin? it for the fucking show. Uh-huh. Wait, did we watch it? Yeah. Wait, really? I think so. Wasn't I don't think the... we did. Oh no. Let's. Uh, let's if we did, later. I have. If we did, I have no memories of it. I think there was. A... If, I, if I have no memories of that, what else am I forgetting, Elliot? <laughs> <laughs> and who put those memory blocks there? <laughs> the most memorable Weapon thing X. in the world, Earth to Echo. If I can forget that, what else could I forget? <laughs> <laughs> what does my child's face look like? Do I have a child? <laughs> uh, Dan, what do you think? Uh, so. A boy named Charlie Brown is already a stark uh, depiction of depression in children. Uh, so I think that it'd be fun to see a gritty reboot of it directed by Lynn Ramsey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, Charlie she's Brown so just, hot right now. Yeah, you know? wandering around the streets, you know, just being kind of <laughs> alienated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. And there's not much plot. I mean, it's a more Vern Collar kind of Lynn Ramsey. Yeah, yeah, sure. Real rat catcher type thing, sure. Yeah. Uh, hey guys, I'm going to flip the script on this a little bit, and I'm going to say uh, that I was trying to think of something I'd like to see, even as a joke, like rebooted or whatever, redone, and I realized that there was nothing I can think of that I feel like I haven't already seen redone in some way, and what I really want to see is like a, an original thing, or like an adaptation of something that I am not aware of already, like not familiar with, like I think I've hit, like, adaptation fatigue, and I don't want to see filmmakers making things that they think I'm going to like based on stuff I like already. I want to mm-hmm. see them make, like, new stuff, mm-hmm. and hopefully I'll like Like, I was trying to think, like, I was thinking about, like, Dino Riders for a while, which was a sure, super yeah. stupid toy line, uh, where I was tricked by, by Toys R Us into buying what essentially was a 22-minute ad for Dino Riders as a videotape, like, that it was going to be a Dino Riders movie, and, uh, I was like, oh, but that's kind of like Jurassic World already. Like, they just add lasers to it. Like, there's nothing I can think of that I, like, haven't seen that's going to blow my mind. And I started thinking about, like, the first time I saw Star Wars or the Dark Crystal or any of that stuff. Where it was like a wholly new world, you know? And so that's what I want to see. But really, for the purpose of answering this question, I'll say Shira, I guess. Because, <laughs> okay. like, Hordak and the Horde were pretty cool villain monsters. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and at the end, you know, the post end credit sequence would have Skeletor in it and they'd tease that Skeletor would be in the next movie and then it would spin off into like the He-Man MCU or something like that. Yeah, we were just watching an episode of uh, the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon and I'm kind of surprised they haven't tried to like relaunch that cartoon. That's yeah. surprising to me, too. Just because it feels like the idea of like taking a bunch of Stranger Things style kids and then giving them magic powers and then they beat up on on Venger. Yeah. I mean, but, it's it's Stranger Things meets Game of Thrones. That's your pitch. Done. Yeah. Make well, it. Yeah. meets like Jumanji. 
Like you're getting sucked you're into the right, game. You're right. It's a lot like Jumanji. You're right. So they can't do it. Although. <laughs> that huge hit, Jumanji. <laughs> I mean, it is a huge hit. No, that's what I'm saying. That's why they would totally do something exactly oh, like but it. Hollywood doesn't like to repeat itself. <laughs> that's why, that's why ho- they didn't put Robin Williams in it. They put Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Stuart, I have some bad news to tell you. <laughs> Did you know originally Robin Williams was going to be in Rampage? And The Rock was going to be in Jumanji. Uh-huh. And they were like, because they switched roles. They, uh-huh. the, Robin Williams was going to be in Jumanji. Uh-huh. Dwayne The Rock Johnson was going to be in Rampage. And they switched roles. Dwayne The Rock Johnson was yeah. going to do Jumanji. Robin Williams was going to do Rampage. And then Robin Williams disappeared and they couldn't find him. So the, the Rock was like, I'll do that one too. Okay. Okay. Well, that's sad. <laughs> yeah, I realized how sad that bit was going to get. So I like, I just like aborted it and it didn't work out. Yeah. Uh, so this last letter is from Tim, last name withheld. Curry, who says, he writes, please don't read my email on the show. Sorry and thanks. Can't do it, Tim. Can't do it. Wow. Dan doesn't care whose toes he steps on. <laughs> That's oh, right. Oh, wow. Jerk. <laughs> what a betrayer. Yeah, well, I marched to my own drum, so I do can't you? be told. Yeah, he's kind of like, a, he's an individual. He's him. And yeah. he's great, yeah. you know. And he's, he, yeah, you, you got to be you. A lady with a beard. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Bringing it all around. So the last thing <laughs> that we do is we recommend movies that we liked that you might want to watch instead of The Greatest Showman. Uh-huh. Um, I guess I've been going first recently, so I'll continue the Always. Trend. I think always. Yeah. It's, we've sl- we slipped into a comfortable rut. But uh, <laughs> it, what, it, what it seems like to me is it's like when somebody has like, hey, I've got a I bought a candy bar. Anyone want to bite? I guess I'll have one. And then they just unwrap it and eat it themselves. <laughs> That's what it feels like to me. Well, you can jump in. I'm not going to stop you from having some of that sweet candy. OK, I'll jump in and I'll recommend first. What do you guys think about that? Sure. OK. Do I have enough time to go to the bathroom? <laughs> no, probably wow. not. Anyway, okay. or maybe I don't know how long. What, what do you have to do in there? Uh, We'll find out. <laughs> okay, well, okay. so students go to the bathroom. So I guess my recommendation is going to be a little longer than I intended. But, uh, <laughs> we're spending the old potty roulette reel, I guess. <laughs> See how long <laughs> so Stuart's going to be in there. What it is is it's it's a toilet seat, and they spin <laughs> it like a roulette wheel. Yeah, <laughs> and the ball always falls into the hole in the middle. So always bet on, it's always bet on the hole. Yeah, when you're oh. playing potty roulette, <laughs> oh, it's also okay. called potty roulette because it's at a kid's casino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a casino for toddlers <laughs> yeah. in uh, in Little Vegas. <laughs> or no, Tots Vegas it's called. It's called Tots Vegas. Mm-hmm. People... we got to talk long enough that Stuart leaves the bathroom and we still haven't gotten to recommendations yet. <laughs> That's right. I guess at uh, the kids' uh, Vegas, they bet like graham crackers or something, like gold goldfish crackers. Yeah, yeah, goldfish crackers, graham crackers, uh, those little peanut butter sandwich crackers. Oh yeah, that uh, that the kids can't seem to get enough of. Yeah, the 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 snack that I sometimes got from the gas station when I was looking for snacks because it felt somehow a little healthier than other crappy <laughs> snacks, but instead had a huge number of calories. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a that's a good way to think about. It. That's like you're like the person who's like, hold on, I gotta watch out for my health. I'll get a diet soda. Yeah. Like well, you could just not drink soda. Anyway, talking about are you talking about Nature Valley granola bars? Uh, well, no, but those also fit into that. It feels like it should be healthy category. Yeah, yeah, but they have a lot of calories. Yeah, 
but you know, calories, that's just energy, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Another science fact from Mr. Wizard himself, Stuart Wellington. Okay, guys, so I'm going to recommend a movie. This is a comedy I saw recently that I didn't love everything about it, but I found a lot of it genuinely funny, which has not been the case for a lot of recent comedies for me. It's a movie called The Little Hours, starring uh, basically the same cast of comedy people you see all over the place and everywhere. There's Aubrey Plaza's in it, Molly Shannon's in it, Fred Armisen's in it, all these people. Uh, And it's about, it's a comedy set in 14th century uh, Italy in a convent, and it's kind of like if Heathers was set at a medieval convent in a way where it's a – I think the the plot line was not improvised, but the script is all improvised. And it is just yeah. characters in a historical setting talking like modern people talk, and I thought a lot of it was really funny. The plot goes in a direction where I was like, all right, this is kind of not what I'm looking for from this movie, but I enjoyed it more than not. And John C. Riley's in it too, and he's really funny. Everyone's real funny in it. And it's based on a story from the Decameron, right? Supposedly. I've never read the Decameron, so I don't really know how close. I mean, The Greatest Showman is supposedly based on P.T. Barnum's life. And yeah. That doesn't really apply that much. but Okay. But if you want to watch a funny movie, I liked that movie. The Little Hours. Um, I want to go because I'm going to give a qualified recommendation. Unless okay. you also have a qualified recommendation. No, too. no, no. It's cool. You can go. Uh, wait, hold on. What were you going to recommend? <laughs> no, Dan. Then he should just give his recommendation. So I'm going to go along. I'm going to piggyback off of Elliot's style of recommendation. And I'm going to recommend uh, a little comedy that I liked that I saw recently that also stars Aubrey Plaza. I'm going to recommend Ingrid Goes West. Oh, I want to see that. Uh, which is about a uh, a woman who is obsessed with social media and is has great difficulty interacting with the world outside of that um, until she kind of does. Uh, it's Yeah, it's just... <laughs> Uh, it's this fun, sad little movie, uh, about obsession and, uh, trying to relate to other people and it features some, some fun performances. It's not like, you know, it's not like a super funny movie, but it's kind of funny. And, uh, it, it has a really great performance from O'Shea Jackson Jr. As, uh, Aubrey Plaza's characters, uh, Batman obsessed, uh, landlord turned, uh, boyfriend, I guess. And Dan, are you going to finish this Aubrey Plaza trifecta? <laughs> no, I'm not. And uh, the reason why I asked Stuart uh, what he's going to recommend, because I was like, I briefly thought we were going to recommend the same thing, because I realized that there's something I didn't have to give a qualified recommendation to. I, I liked enough to give a full recommendation to, which was uh, The Endless, which uh, is a little. Yeah, I still haven't gotten to see it yet. Okay. There's like a, it's like kind of an indie horror movie, cosmic horror, a little sci-fi, a little bit of like a brother's relationship drama, and a little bit of a comedy. It's from the from the filmmaker who made uh, Spring and Resolution, which are both movies I recommended on the show. So it's a it's a good movie. If you you know like I gave the Quiet Place a little shit on our Facebook group because I I liked it. I think it's a very well made movie, but I was like. Oh, this is kind of like a basic horror movie that I've seen before. And I feel like The Endless, if you're looking for like a little bit of a different kind of horror movie, it's for you, uh, even though it's not just trying to be scary. I mean, hasn't hasn't A Quiet Place made enough money that it's a thriller now and not a horror movie? Yeah, I think those are the rules. <laughs> yeah, I think so. 
But just quickly, the basic premise of uh, The Endless is two brothers. The older one pulled the younger one out of a cult when they were like teens. And uh, the younger one doesn't like life on the outside and convinces the brother to go back and visit. And then a bunch of weird stuff starts happening. So that's the that's uh, you don't want to know anything more than that going in. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me anything more than that. Yeah. So I'm not asking you to. OK. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not an endless movie, right? It's only like an hour and a half. No, it is long. one of those movies that tempts fate uh, when it comes to critics making up snarky headlines. Uh-huh. That and also Infinity War. Seems uh-huh. to. Yeah. Man, that's my fucking favorite is like even fucking Colbert, which I don't know, like are they hire the oldest guys in the world to write their bits? Because it's like you can see this fucking writer's room as some old fucker saying like Infinity War, more like infinity, infinite cast of characters. <laughs> he turns into Audrey too, Audrey, well, just Audrey from. He turns into Audrey too. He turns into Audrey too, <laughs> and then he he gulps Stuart down while he's trying to buy a plant, <laughs> and I deserve it for making fun of his jokes. Uh, just Audrey. That, that was a very complicated scenario that just got <laughs> just got spun to life. And this is coming from someone who often starts sentences not knowing how they're going to end. Yeah. So Stuart. Uh, did you recommend something or not? Yeah, I fucking yes, just did. Ingrid goes you, west. Oh, okay. Wait. Did okay, we all Dan. do it? Did yes. you wait? Did you think for a second that like time stopped and my recommendation <laughs> happened all inside your brain? Yeah. <laughs> like Dan, I'm I'm genuinely starting to worry about you after this episode. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're like, well, we didn't talk about my favorite musical number. <laughs> yeah, we did. Stuart talked about it, and I talked about it. Yeah. Well, we never introduced ourselves. Yeah, we did at the beginning of the show. <laughs> Did I say we never introduced ourselves? Did you hit record on this podcast, (laughs) I fucking hope? Okay. (laughs) Or I kind of hope not. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe we'll do it all over again. Okay. uh, Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Elliot Kalen. That's Stuart. This is uh, Dan Memory Man McCoy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. People don't realize Dan got mementoed (laughs) since the last episode. Yeah. I'm the character at the end of the 39 steps. I actually... uh, Mr. Memory. Mr. Memory, yeah. Which even that you couldn't remember. Great job. (laughs) (laughs) Great job, Mr. Memory. I like the idea that you have very specific tattoos for each episode on you. You like look at your arm and it says, We talked about the love duet scene with the with the trapeze artist. You're like, okay, never mind. My tattoo says we watched it already. We talked about it already. Yeah. So I'm getting tattooed like during the podcast, just like constantly. Yeah, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. The sound of the tattoo needle has been very distracting to the listeners. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. But it it's just it's just really cool, you know. How do you like being a human canvas? <laughs> <laughs> it's all in Ray Bradbury's short story collection, The Illustrated Dan, where yeah. uh, every tattoo on Dan tells a story. It's <laughs> that song Gracho sang, "Dan the Tattooed Lady." Yep. <laughs> um. So let's uh, close up the old mailbag. Close up the old recommendations bag. Uh, time for the circus to close down. It's leaving town and going somewhere else. Yeah, close up the old flop bag. Uh-huh. I say <laughs> for the flop yeah. bag. I've been so, Dan McCoy. Wait, wait, hold on, Dan. Aren't all bags floppy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if it, once a bag is not floppy anymore, it becomes a briefcase yeah. or a box. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Stuart. Isn't a isn't a box just a bag that's not floppy? <laughs> Dan, your take. All right. Well, I guess take me away to jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You caught me. 
Let's drag him to hell, everybody. <laughs> okay. Well, again, for the Flophouse, I've been Dan McCoy. Yeah, I'm Stuart Wellington. And I thought I was always going to be Elliot Kalen, but now I'm not so sure. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye. No, no. Did you see my post on uh, the Facebook group about the guy who's sitting next to me at Adventures Infinity War? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He like he was super pumped up by it. Yeah, and then he was like, oh, man, they really jacked us up, didn't they, to me afterwards? <laughs> like, he, like, nudges me, and I'm like, yeah, man, they really did. And then as soon as, like, the gross credit stinger was done and I stood up, he, like, shook hands. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> you guys are brothers in battle. You went yeah. through an Infinity War together. Yeah, I yeah, find that hilarious. Fun. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.